Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. ABS Media. Papa Hotel Lima Echo November Radio Check. Papa Echo November. Good afternoon. Uh, read you five. Good afternoon. Read you five as well. Papa Echo November. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or <clears throat> employees. All-Hit Radio! Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the X Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, worldwide, toll free 1 800 610 7035. Email X Zone at X Zone Radio TV.com on MSN Messenger, X Zone Radio TV at Hotmail.com, and our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. X Zone Nation, this hour we're going to be asking the question Is North Korea serious? And what do the threats actually mean? Ian R. Kelly is my guest, and he's a former defense worker, and he says U.S. really should not be caught sleeping. Now, just as President Obama outlined his vision for the future of the United States, North Korea has come raging back into our headlines with a threat to target America. Now, this is a quote, North Korea has been off and on our radar for decades. The fact remains that we've never signed a peace treaty with the authoritarian country, and the demilitarized zone separating North and South Korea remains the longest, most heavily guarded border in the world. Over the next uh, hour, explanation, I'm going to be talking with Ian R. Kelly, and we're going to be talking about his new book, Un, uh, Uncivil Servants, 
And his website is ianrkelly.com. That's I-A-N-R-K-E-L-L-E-Y.com. And Ian, welcome to the X-Zone. Ian, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you, Rob, to you and your listeners there at Talkstar Radio for having me. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, what exactly did you do in the Defense Department? Well, I spent about half of my 35-year career with Department of Defense in South Korea, teaching U.S. and Korean military officers communication skills and basic English. Mm-hmm. All right, why is North Korea so it seems that there's, they're hell-bound on, on causing problems where there really doesn't need to be problems. Like, why target the United States? We're not targeting them. Well, it's, you, have to, you have to look at the world from a totally different perspective, and I don't mean to lump cultures yeah. or, or countries together, but Orientals and Occidentals, from my experience and, and the history and, and what I've been able to glean, don't think alike. Uh, I'm not sure if you recall General Douglas MacArthur uh, when he was commander during World War II in the Pacific and uh, before Truman relieved him. Mm -hmm. uh, He told President Truman in so many words, you know, um, help the United States if you ever come into an all-out shooting conflict with the yellow race again because they do not think like we do. So to answer your question, you know, why are they antagonistic towards us because we're not antagonistic but towards them? You have to understand the history of the country and the division. Korea is 5,000 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, new forces, new elements, new things happened. And when the Korean conflict broke out, that was a total divide between two ways of life. Yes, it was started uh, by what is continuing now a family regime, but two different philosophies on how people should be treated, handled, cared for, managed, whatever you want. Are, are up at odds against each other right now. So what are we seeing, an attempt at reunification of North and South to one superpower Korea? Well, and that's pretty much what my uh, my novel's about, Uncivil Servants. It's about the reunification of North and South mm-hmm. Korea. And yes, while we're talking now about uh, nu- uh, nuclear threats, uh, threats from North Korea, at the same time, about 10 or 15 years ago, probably even before that, uh, there had been attempts and are still attempts and reunification talks going on. The problem is, once the country was divided uh, at the 38th parallel, uh, both sides, both North and South Korea, feel that the territory, the other territory, is theirs. And they both want reunification, but under their terms. So it's, a, it's pretty much of a struggle with these six-party nuclear talks and talks for reunification, but they are continuing. All right, stand by, Ian. You and I have to take our first break. We'll be back in two minutes. Exo Nation, Ian R. Kelly is our guest. He's the author of Uncivil Servants. His website, once again, is ianrkelly.com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon, and we'll be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
Exxon Nation, Ian R. Kelly is my special guest. He's retired from the Department of Defense. He retired in 2005 after 35 years of service. For many years, he lived and worked in South Korea, teaching English and communication skills to Koreans and U.S. military personnel. He worked as a professor in Daegu, South Korea, and he currently resides in Tarpon Springs, Florida. And uh, Ian, thanks very much for joining us. Why, with with the change of power in North Korea, are we seeing a much more aggressive Korea, North Korea now? <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm not sure we can make that statement right yet, Rob. Um, one of the things that the uh, that the regime in North Korea has always had since mm-hmm. its inception was deception uh, in terms of saying one thing, uh, causing another to happen. So we really don't know. Um, I'm not sure our our experts in our intelligence community really have hit the nail on the head, Mm. nor can anyone really understand their intent. And that that makes it dangerous. All right, so why then is North Korea flexing its muscle and trying to egg the United States into an action that we really don't want to get into. Like, we don't want to have a war with North Korea, but we're certainly not going to step down from a good fight. Well, there are those, again, in the intelligence community that believe the posturing and and, and, and bolstering and, and continued threats are one means, once they go to the bargaining table, to get mm-hmm. more, to get something, whether it's food aid, whether it's assistance with some other program within the country. It, it, North Korea has consistently used their provocations to try to gain something at a bargaining table. Has North Korea come to the point where, if engaged in a war, that uh, there might be the possibility that it would lead to certainly a nuclear annihilation? Well, uh, that's, that's, you know, one thought. Uh, I, I believe, based on my experiences, uh, having worked and lived there, having many, many Korean friends, both mm-hmm. in the military community and in the professional and academic community, that, and this is just my opinion for your listeners, I don't think that is likely. I think what the people are hoping for in South Korea, the U.S., and a glimmer of hope even for some in North Korea, which you never hear because they don't get to air what they think, Mm -hmm. is that this new leader, Kim Jong-un, will be somewhat of a Mikhail Gorbachev. And Mikhail Gorbachev was the one instrumental in bringing down the Berlin Wall. That's right, yeah. Uh, Some people, you you know, have asked me, well, you know, will Korea ever unite? Will the bamboo curtain ever come down? And the answer is an unequivocal yes. There's no doubt about it. The question is when and under what conditions. The problems in that part of the region are, are many and varied, from economic trade to border security mm-hmm. to the threat of nuclear weapons. China, for example, is afraid, you know, right now they border North Korea, an ally. China is concerned that if the North and South unite, now they're bordering with a member of a country that was friends with the United States or is friends with the United States. They're extremely concerned about border security. Japan, on the other hand, which has a vested interest in this and is a part of the six-party talks, is concerned with the economic uh, powerhouse that a unified Korea would bring with the vast, vast natural resources and labor uh, the North currently has, coupled with the innovation and technology in the South, 
Korea would be a powerhouse economically. And as my book points out in one line, there are those in the Japanese government who fear United Korea. They don't want the Hyundai getting to the stoplight before the Toyota. Are there other countries in the world that would back North Korea? Well, as your listeners probably well know, uh, once again that the uh, that the uh, wall came down in Berlin, uh, there were hard economic times in the then Soviet Union, and all pretty much all aid from Russia has been discontinued, with few exceptions. Uh, to answer your question, I couldn't possibly imagine anyone, and and that's why I don't feel that an all-out shooting conflict where you're talking nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. the exchange of nuclear, would, would take place. Now, again, just my opinion. I just don't see that happening. But what your listeners need to understand, since the division of that country, you don't hear about things that go on monthly, weekly, along the demilitarized zone. Firefights, skirmishes, call them what you like. They happen. You just never hear about them. Simply go to the Internet, Google, and you'll find since 1949-50 the hundreds and hundreds of skirmishes and firefights that take place. How soon do you believe, based on your expertise, and this is once again just your opinion, would North Korea be ready to use a missile strike against the United States? Well, when you say the United States, the United States Embassy in downtown Seoul is United States soil immediately, right now. All right, let's 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 go to continental USA, or, e- or even Hawaii. Okay, well, if, 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 again, I'm sure your listeners keep up in, 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 the, in, the, in the radio, with the radios, the printed media, mm-hmm. the Internet. There are those in the intelligence community uh, this minute that are saying that, oh, don't worry, uh, they can only reach uh, Hawaii now. Their missiles can't reach the continental United States. But, Rob, I would mind you and your listeners, these are the same, the exact same intelligence community people that told us that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass yes. destruction. Exactly. So, so I'm very leery and skeptical, and that's kind of where I kind of came up with the, the name Uncivil Servants for my novel. For 35 years, I challenged the system. Uh, didn't go as far as I wanted in my career, but that's the price you pay. You have to be willing to challenge. And mm-hmm. I just am not sure I believe the intelligence community when they tell us, don't worry, it can only reach Hawaii. Well, I would hope the Hawaiians are worrying In your opinion, who poses a greater threat to the United States of America, Iraq or North Korea? Uh, There's no doubt about it, North Korea. Uh, In fact, just yesterday, watching television, Mm -hmm. I saw a little comparison chart where they'd put checks. North Korea currently has nuclear weapons, check. Iraq, no. North Korea currently has delivery capabilities to deliver nuclear weapons, check. Iraq, no. And it went right down the list. I think, again, uh, and I did this for many years because I was too close to the problem or Mm -hmm. too close to what was going on there. I I tended to turn a blind eye to what was going on. I mean, we have, and I know the figures probably classified, but when I was there, uh, anywhere from 20 to 30,000 U.S. military, civilians, and defense contract workers there who are under that constant threat. What was it like for you as an American living in Korea? 
uh, quite an experience. If uh, you didn't see the signs printed in Korea, you'd think you were in downtown Toronto, Manhattan, really? or L.A. Hmm. <laughs> Every, everything it looks the same. It's there. South Korea is a very, very progressive, uh, security-minded, uh, 21st century city of the world. It's an Asian hub for trade. How how different is the authoritarian government in uh, North Korea compared to the U.S. diplomatic or bureaucratic or freedom sort of government? Well, I don't mean to surprise you or your listeners, but in some respects they're quite similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're quite similar. Um, again, as your, your listeners uh, well know, that this has been a, a family regime uh, since uh, its inception, and that there are only a very few uh, players in power in North Korea that control the action, that know what's going on. And that's, that's what makes it so difficult to find out what's their next move, what do they plan. Now, on the other side of that, think about of our elected representatives. Mm-hmm. Think about what's going on right now in the news with the deadlocks and the gridlocks on, on getting economic uh, houses in order. We have a few players that are calling the shots. I mean, we pay these people thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a year, our elected representatives. But it's we, the people, that are to blame for what the problems are in terms of getting things to move along. So, yes, there are similarities. There are those in North Korea, very select few calling the shots. Do we know what they're planning? Very difficult. There are very few in government, our government, elected representatives, calling the shots. Mm -hmm. Do we know what they're doing? I'll let your listeners answer that for themselves. (laughs) Only too often do people realize that they have the, and I'm talking about the citizens of the U.S., they have the ability to make changes in government when they vote. So they say, you know, well, geez, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, certainly there is. The next time you vote, you can make those changes happen. And I I loved it when you said we the people because so many people forget that. Even though there are some members of governments, whether it's Canada, the United States, or any other democratic government that want to change it from we the people to I the person, but I I, I don't see that happening. Well, not in the very near future anyway. Um, Well, I try to be a little more pessimistic or optimistic, rather. (laughs) I think, I think, you know, I, I mean, we have to just hold in, in, in the greatest, res- or have the greatest respect and hold in the greatest reverence. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our founding fathers, uh, those men sitting there with, with flowered wigs, yeah. that came up with the oldest living constitution in history. Yet we can't have people that we pay. And I think if I recall correctly, the average... Uh, we pay our elected officials uh, something like $63 million a year, their salaries. We can't even get these men and ladies dressed in the finest attire, sitting around tables to solve our problems. Yet a few men sat down and designed a country. Mind you, the men and uh, the men who sat down and wrote the Constitution so many years ago weren't faced with the political correctness, the the different philosophies, the different religions, and the different beliefs that the lawmakers of today face. Well, I hope you don't mind if I disagree with you, Rob. <laughs> there were those, there were the Jeffersonians who mm-hmm. wanted the agrarian society that wanted little or no federal control. There were the Federalists who wanted a strong federal government. But they worked it out. 
they were republic well they weren't called republicans and democrats then but like like now the democrats and the republicans they had differences but they worked them out it, it just amazes me again that we pay our elected officials what we pay them knowing that they spend about a third of their time campaigning for re-election and and of course look what happened in the last election all this money was spent but at the end of the day Nothing had changed. You and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues. My guest this hour is Ian R. Kelly. His website, www.inrkelly.com. And he's the author of a new book entitled On Civil Servants. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Don't go away. We'll be back after the news. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network. UK High Definition Radio. Euro High Definition Radio. And Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www. .exoneradiotv.com I believe it's meant to be darling I watch you win Back Exxon Nation, Ian R. Kelly is our special guest. His website is www.ianrkelly.com. What in your length of time that you spent over in South Korea, what was the most fascinating, um, you know, fascinating find that you made when it came to the culture of the Korean people? Um. You know, I think the thing, and again, I pointed this out in my book as uh, uh, as one of the uh, characters was riding from the airport in Incheon to downtown Seoul. That as you as you drive down or, or drive through the city streets of 13 million cars, wow. you you look up and see these edifices, these glass skyscrapers, raising to the sky, mm-hmm. surrounded by bamboo scaffoldings with people with A-frames carrying things up on their backs. It, Rob, it's like the 21st century meets the Stone Age. Wow. It, 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 that, that really caught my attention, uh, watching these people build these skyscrapers with bamboo scaffolding and, and, and people with no shirts on, with straps and, and boards on their back, climbing up these bamboo scaffolding. That got my attention. <laughs> in, your, in your opinion, how would a unified Korea change the world's power structure? Well, <clears throat> in two ways. First, economically, and second, militarily. Again, a unified Korea, uh, some see a unified Korea as, as an economic threat, as I'd already uh, talked about mm-hmm. Japan. 
Um, Japan's economy used to be one of the strongest and the second largest in the world. It's number three now. So they have a vested interest, obviously, in their own economy, and that's why my book, although fiction, uh, it is based on unspoken truths that, you know, there are those in the Japanese government who fear a united Korea, the powerhouse that that economy would generate. Now, from the U.S. perspective in terms of, uh, of a unified Korea in terms of the economy, I think the U.S. Uh, uh, could look at that as a two-edged sword. Right now, we have a $22 billion trade deficit with South Korea. One of the problems that we deal with, not only with South Korea, but many, many countries in the world is our government, for the most part, except bailouts of banks, does not support our private sector. The Korean government supports many, many parts, for example, the auto industry. Uh, the Korean government makes it extremely difficult and extremely expensive for the average Korean to import a foreign automobile. They, put, they levy heavy import taxes on them. Why? To maintain their own economy by Korean. And that's one of the things we're fighting with. Now, again, two-edged sword. It just depends on how the U.S. is willing to attack that problem. I don't think we're ever to, likely to embargo goods, but I do believe our trade negotiators, when we start bargaining with whatever country, a unified Korea, a divided Korea, any country, that we should, we should look out a little more for our workers and, and how but the trade deficits are impacting our workers. Besides the, the labor situation, what other lessons do you think that the American public can actually learn from the Koreans? Uh, again, uh, as different as night and day, and, and what I will reference is one thing you don't find in Korea, uh, or if you do, very, very few, mm -hmm. and I'll just use the term rest homes. Uh, here in the United States, they make the news for good or ill, whether yep. we have a rest home in Georgia that's been found guilty of violations taking care of the elderly uh, you know, take your pick. They're, they're usually in the news daily, rest homes, getting licenses, not meeting standards set by states. You do not find those in South Korea. The South Korean family culture is very different. Yes, we used to have that family culture years ago. The family was the most important thing. But back in the 50s, once the atomic bomb was used, we called it an atomistic or an atom society. The automobile brought us further apart. You have to understand, Korea, for example, is only in about their second generation of automobiles. But, but again, back to the fact that they just view taking care of family quite different than we do. Not that we're not concerned about our parents, our loved ones, our relatives when they need assistance uh, and they get older. But it's typical in the South Korean society and many societies in Asia to take that family member in. They're a part of your family. They don't put them in rest homes. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like we're in a very disposable society these days. Once it's broken, you throw it away and buy a new one. And unfortunately, and disgracefully enough, this is how we treat our senior citizens. We'll and get, we can learn a yeah. lot from the people in Asia to include South sure Korea can. in that. Tell me, do you think that the United States should be more or less engaged in the affairs of of other countries? Well... It depends on how you define engaged. Uh, uh, we have had uh, spoken policies by the last three administrations, uh, without doubt, 
that the U.S.'s position in the world is to promote democracy, and you can see that in our current actions in the Middle East uh, and in Africa. That's a stated objective currently of the Obama administration. It was a stated objective of the Bush's administration. So to get involved, now, how do we get involved humanitarily, uh, militarily, uh, economically? It, it, it depends, and we have to look at what's in the interest of the United States. We want to help, but does it help or hinder our ability to help promote democracy around the world? You see, the way, the way I see it is that the United States uses the the will to promote democracy as a job creation program because if the United States was not all over the world promoting the democratic way of life then we wouldn't need then there wouldn't be the need for the 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 expenses the large expenses on the national defense aspect you wouldn't need as many soldiers you wouldn't need as many uh, marines you wouldn't need as many people that there are. Then there's the, the cut in the economy itself that would be brought on by bringing everyone home. Like, you know, diplomacy and war, two very big job creation programs. Uh, without a doubt, Rob, without a doubt. But I think what we have to keep in mind is uh, democracy is one of the slowest forms of mm-hmm. government ever devised. And if, if you don't believe me, uh, just read a little history. Look what's going on. Take Egypt, for example. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Over Husni Babart. Yes, he had a semi-peaceful you know, exit. Yeah. New president, new constitution, which is in question. Yet they're in the streets protesting again. People want change immediately, and it does not work that way. But there democracy are th- does not happen overnight. You know, and unfortunately, whether people want to accept this fact or not, there are those countries in the world where democracy, as we know it, will not work. Exactly, exactly. Look, we, we advocated, we advocated in Lebanon, mm-hmm. free elections. They had free elections. Who, got, who came to power? Hamas. We advocated free elections. We advocated democracy. The people spoke. Was it a fair election? Was it rigged? We don't have a clue. But we advocate democracy, and the people we want in didn't get in. Let me ask you this. As a, as a former member of the Defense Department, the new ruling about uh, female participation in front lines or the spear, the spear of of uh, of the of the armed forces, mm-hmm. pro or con? Um, I don't think it's a matter of pro or con. It's 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 been happening for years. Uh, and again, I can use South Korea as an example. Mm-hmm. You have military policemen, uh, uh, U.S. in U.S. uniforms, men and women walking along the DMZ in uniform with M16s and grenade launchers. So. Where do, you, where do you call the front lines? Where is a front line? And as we well know, with today's projected battlefield, there will be no front lines. It will be street to street to back alley to building to building. There are no front lines. That's currently going on in Afghanistan, Pakistan, right now. Well, in my opinion, you know, there's a big difference from uh, 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 a female member of the armed forces walking along in, in a in a in a policing role compared to a combat role, like when you you know like there there's talk about well you know the ladies won't be able to 
to do the same training as the Marine, as their male counterparts. Well, you know what? If they can't do it, they shouldn't be there. Well, yeah, but again, maybe maybe we should define what is combat. If I'm walking along uh, uh, the demilitarized zone mm-hmm. carrying an M16, there's got to be a reason I'm carrying that M16. Is it for self-protection? Yes. Hey, no, what no, no what, offense. What if I'm attacked? What do I do? No offense. I'm in a combat situation. No offense, but you can get a, assault rifles in the United States now out of Kmart or Woolco or Walmart. So. You know, just because a person is carrying an M16 doesn't mean they're, that they're a capable, you know, combat soldier. Oh, well, I, I use the assumption, and I've seen them train, that they don't put anybody in a position like that unless they are trained. I think the concern that, that I may be hearing you saying and, and others have is, is, is the type of warfare that has existed in the past, mm-hmm. where, where there are distinct lines where you have men laying in trenches with weapons aimed at their opponents, and, and that is definitely a combat role. If, if one of your comrades gets, gets injured or hurt, you have the strength, you have the ability to pull them to safety. Uh, again, I think we're looking at an entirely different scenario in today's battlefield, and, and, and it just happens quite differently in, in the parts of the world that the U.S. troops are now deployed. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, when, when I... Maybe it's the psychological factor of uh, a male representing the armed forces. You know, a guy who's built like a G.I. Joe compared to Susie Homemaker. You know, I, to me, the psychological effect is, is much greater when you've got the status quo. For example, if, if two female police officers arrive to a scene and two male police officers arrive at the scene... Who does the public and this and this has been this is uh, this has been tested? Who does the public go to? The male. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's perception. Mm-hmm. Ladies are mothers, their wives, their girlfriends. They take care of our young. Uh, again, I think that's a perception of yep. the individual, and the individual has to make that distinction. How do they view these? Uh, Rob, there have been uh, these homemakers carrying Uzis in the Israeli army for years. Oh, all right, so? Well, obviously the Israeli Defense Force commanders believe that the women are just as capable as the men. If and that was the case, the if, if, if that... Debate right now. You know, if that was the case, then then the Israelis wouldn't be depending so much of the United States for backup in their, you know, in their conflict with Iraq. And what happens if the Israelis provoke an attack by Iraq? Does that automatically bring the United States into the conflict? Uh, yes, we have treaties. Yeah, sure. We had, we, so, we so, so they can stir the pot. They can cause the war, and the American armed forces have to have to have to um, suffer the consequences for for their stirring the pot. Well, again, I think as you've seen initially with with our involvement in the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, our initial involvement did not involve boots on the ground. Our initial involvement involved uh, surface to air missiles and uh, aircraft, and I. I'm not aware of, of my research and investigations and everything I've read where mm-hmm. Israel is even considering asking the U.S. for assistance in terms of boots on the ground. I don't think they would do that. I think they would assume it. Okay. You know, here's a little, here's, here's a little nation of Israel. You know, they've always used the David and Goliath concept. Yes. You know, so anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a story for another show. Let, let me get back to your book, The Uncivil Servant. Um, The, you know, 
when it comes to the younger Kim Jong-un, is he more receptive to the world stage, or do you think that he's going to confine himself to his four little corners of the world, North Korea? Well, I think right now what our intelligence community is trying to ascertain is, is he the one calling the shots, or are the people that are his twice his age, mm-hmm. his seniors and his father's, uh, uh, his father's uh, advisors, uh, are they calling the shots? Uh, I tend to think, based on what I've read and seen, I mean, we don't even know this, this gentleman's age. Is he 29? Is he 30? Is he 31? We're not even sure. He was supposedly born, under, born on top of a mountain under a gleaming star, which is, you know, kind of ironic. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> was, it, was his father's name Joseph and his mother's name Mary yeah. by any chance? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're an image. North Korea is an image regime. They're not overly concerned about how we view them other than they want us to know that they have the capabilities to defend themselves. True or false, that's part of their goal. We want to appear strong. We want to do these missile tests. We want to tell the United States, as they did last week, that rather than innuendo or implication, and their statement last week directly stated we are targeting the United States. That wasn't an implication. That was a direct quote. So we have to take those seriously. I, I mean, Rob, ask yourself the question. If you were walking down the street and someone pointed a gun at you and said, I'm going to kill you, you'd have to take that pretty seriously. You're darn too. And, and, and let me tell you. Let just me tell stand. You no, hold on that. here. Hold on. We've got to take our break. We'll be back sure. in a little while. Ian R. Kelly is our special guest, XO Nation. His website is www.inrkelly.com, and he's the author of Uncivil Servants. My name is Rob McConnell. This is The Exome. Back after this break. Don't go away. Ian R. Kelly is our guest this hour, www.ianrkelly.com. What was your inspiration for writing your book? Uh, Again, for about 35 years, I asked that terrible question that the higher-ups just didn't want to hear, and that was why. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the characters, I guess you'd call him the main protagonist in the book, a Secret Service agent, always questioned his superiors. Uh, And that obviously didn't endear him uh, to the hierarchy, and he never just really got up in the system. So I I just decided to write this book from the perspective of the protagonist's point of view as Mm -hmm. an uncivil servant, truly dedicated to his job, and there are many, many dedicated civil servants out there. Uh, but, But there are few that are willing to take the risk to say and ask those questions which the hierarchy does not want to hear. Tell so me, that's kind of the inspiration. All right, tell me, in your opinion, what U.S. government agencies require more independent thinking? More independent thinking? Mm-hmm. We the people. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk agencies. We the people, again, are the ones who put those people in power. Uh, we need to be a little more cognizant of what's going on. People argue about the concept of term limits. You know, 
you didn't like what he's doing, so, you know, vote him out. Well, right. yeah, but he kept getting voted in and out year after year. Well, let's talk about term limits. Exactly. Uh, the same term limit that you have for the president of the United States. Exactly, yeah. and that's always amazed me. But again, we the people have made yeah. that decision. We are our own worst enemies. You know, Rob, there are those that argue if you have term limits, the turnover every two years or four years, whether you're talking the House of Representatives or the Senate, would just be too confusing, cause too much turmoil. You know, just ask yourself the question, could it be any more confusing and could there be any more turmoil or gridlock than there is now? It's no, impossible. I, that's, that's true. That is so true. Um, but once again, this is just, I'm, I'm just asking you for your opinion here. Should, are there agencies that should be totally separate from the government, not reporting to the lower levels of government, but re, you know, reporting to, let's say, the cabinet? Uh, in my opinion, no. Again, the government, we are the government. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a hard enough time, and, and, and many instances have to apply under the Freedom of Information Act to find out what our government's doing. Uh, why do we want to make it any more difficult and set an element or an agency aside of the federal government that it would be virtually impossible for us to find out what's going on? But I mean, that but, goes on daily. <laughs> but does John Q. Public need to know everything that the government is doing, even in matters of national security? I think that's for everyone's uh, uh, to make up for their own mind. Do they need to know every detail? Mm -hmm. uh, clearly not. So where do you draw that line? I draw the line in honesty and truth. I draw the honesty. I draw the line in terms of the government telling us what's happening, not feeding us something that they think we want to hear, as most or many politicians do. First of all, Ian, I want to thank you so much for joining us this hour. It's been a great hour. And where can people buy a copy of your book? Uh, they can, uh, again, the website references three or four locations online to buy it. Uh, you could probably go to your, in fact, I know you can go to your local bookstore. If they don't have it, you can order it uh, just about anywhere, Rob, just about anywhere. Ian R. Kelly has been my guest this hour. Ian, thanks very much. Continued success, and I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the Exxon. Rob, thank you, and tell Talkstar and your listeners. All right, buddy, take care of yourself. Exxon Nation, Ian R. Kelly has been my guest this hour. We've been talking about his new book, Uncivil Servants. And as you heard Ian say, it's available online and in your local bookstore. His website, www.ianrkelly.com. I'll be back on the other side of the commercial break at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past. As the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Don't go away. <laughs>